Hey guys, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm okay. Good. You know, I was uh, thinking about our next episode. Yeah. And I was yeah, trying... Yeah, what are we going to do? I, you know what? Look, I think we should do like a movie chat of some sort. Like, let's talk about a movie. Oh, okay. Since okay. we're like... Since, since that we're... sounds fun, different and exciting, something something different to bring the masses yeah right because we're like we're home and you know now i don't know but i don't know are we gonna are we gonna do can we do a movie can we do can we do a movie that we don't necessarily have like for streaming i i i well i mean we we want something with the business flair yeah right Uh so what's the first movie that comes to mind i mean i'm thinking like glenn gary glenn ross yeah See, like, I mean, always be closing, guys. Always be closing. ABC. Yeah, like, I was thinking, like, you know, Social Network, Steve Jobs, The Founder, Boiler Room. Oh, Boiler Room. That's it. Long Island. Yeah, it fits. Boiler Room, I think, is a a great choice. I always yeah, that that's it. You said it, Sal. Did you that's think Boiler it. Room? You think it'd be okay? You don't think it's like uh, you know too adult or anything? I mean, I think well, it, it shows. Uh, it shows a lot. Podcast, so yeah. yeah. I mean, it shows a lot about like what business is all about, and yeah, I, and thought... I think you know we'll be able to kind of point out what not to do when buying stocks as well. If I remember the movie correctly. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a exactly. while. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. So we'll uh, we'll do that. Let's uh, let's watch it. Let's see where we can watch it, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Sound good? Sounds, Sounds good. Great. All right. Awesome. Good idea. All right. Thanks, Sal. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 From the Miller Business Center at Middle Country Public Library, this is centered on business. <laughs> of this firm, you will make your first million within three years. I'm going to repeat that. You will make a million dollars. At the stock trading house of J.T. Marlin, a new generation is building their fortune. So I want you to go out, buy yourselves a new car. Go buy yourself a house. We're superstars now. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You have to be closing all the time and be aggressive. Learn how to push. This is Chris Marlin over at JT Marlin. This stock is blowing up right now. The whole firm's going nuts. Hold on, let me open up the door to my office. See that, Doc? Give me the 2,000 shares. Done. Sale is made every call you make. The only question is, who's going to close? You or him? You can be whoever you want to be on the phone. I'm 46 years old. I have 22 years of market experience. The whole place is going nuts. Well, you see, we deal in stocks that really move. I am your kid's college fund. Yes! My first account, baby. You're one of us now. This kid is really good. God, he's going to go down hard. Sky's the limit. Are you going to be rich, Seth? <laughs> I hope so. How come I've never heard of this firm? I saw John shredding a bunch of documents. So why would you want to look too deep into something? I mean, you're not curious? What are you doing? Man, these guys are no joke. I figured out how Michael's making his money. 
We're selling stock for companies that don't exist. FBI, we'd like to talk to you about your relationship with Seth Davis. Somebody tells you they got money problems? Wrong answer! No! I want my money back. I'm sorry, Harry. I can't do that. You're destroying people's lives. I want to get out of the firm. I don't care what you're doing anymore. Just get out of here! Seth Davis here. It's time, Seth. Giovanni Ribisi, Vin Diesel, Mia Long, Tom Everett Scott, and Ben Affleck. Anybody who tells you money is the root of all evil doesn't have any. Welcome to the new American dream. You know what really jumped out at me at the very beginning of this film, just to let you know, was the that... sexism? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was first. Well, look, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, but um, it was a little cringy that whole New Line Cinema with the scratch and the and you know, like the record scratch and everything like and that. I know also, it's kind of funny to talk about it right off the bat. But yeah, it's the first and, thing that you see, and also like the I don't know if it was. Well, you say New Line Cinema, but was it also Warner Brothers? There's like in, in the and I this was on IMDb. Um, I think they said like they they made it so there's like money in the back. In, yeah, like, it's, it's it, the New Line Cinema. It's the it, money. Yeah, there's yeah. Money, there's, like, back you can like see like yeah. the money. Yeah, yeah. It was very dated. It feel dated, right? Wouldn't you say, Elizabeth? The yes. first, like right up, right off, right out of the gate, like immediately out of the gate, like the first well, minute. As soon as it started, I thought, "Oh, when did this movie come out?" Exactly. Like I, I had known it was not a recent movie, but seeing that, I thought, "Is this older than I thought?" Let me check out the date because you know we watch movies with our iPads in our hands, of course. Sure. Yeah, 2000, I was actually surprised because, I mean, this came out, for me, you know, I was in, I guess, I don't know, high school or middle school or something like that. And this is like a, I don't know, I don't want to get too personal or whatever, but like, for someone like me and like the people that I grew up around and like, we all have this certain view of this movie, Um. And I think it impacted people when it came out. It impacted people even, like, for for years to come um, as, like, a classic. But not only that, but, like, the lifestyle, the everything like that. Um, I don't know if I if you want me to get a little deeper into it. We could do it later, but, I, you know. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was, you know, not in middle school or high school when this movie came out. Thanks for that dig, Alex. No, I'm sorry. Um, but... but when I was in high school, a book called The Bonfire of the Vanities came out, which also dealt with not so much what's happening in the boiler room, which, you know, we'll get to is completely illegal, but that whole selling, that whole a culture of excess and, you know, the fancy suits and the fancy watches and the fancy cars. And that book absolutely impacted me as a, uh, you know, a recent high school graduate. And, you know, it sent me in one direction and then sent me in the complete opposite direction. So it's, it's complete. It's interesting to me that you say that. And would you say that there's people that you know that you grew up with 
that it also affected in in big ways as well? Oh, yeah. Culturally, I think, you know, Bonfire, the Vanities and Boiler Room, that whole mentality of money, 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 and not even, you know, I think the character of Ben Affleck at some point said he, like, he was liquid. He did, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he said, I think when they were interviewing, having the big group interview, he was saying he was liquid, but I think that probably is not something that happens for the most part with the with the people that are inspired by movies and books such as this, that they're not, like, it's all show, like, what... Right. What car do you drive? What kind of suit do you have? I don't care if you can't afford to move out of your parents' home, but you better be wearing a $1,000 suit. Yeah, like, I feel like people, like, uh, uh, from my generation or whatever, they they see this... The, t- it's almost like how people... Some people see, like, Scarface, but they don't realize that he dies at the end. Or they see, like, Goodfellas, but they don't realize that Henry Hill, were, you know... Uh, it was a bad person and you know blah 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 they're watching a movie and i don't want to go bad i'm not i'm trying not to go bad on anybody but like they're watching a movie about people doing bad things but they're like loving it and then some people are actually went in some people that i know like went into that like kind of direction in that business of being like and then i can see them now they're still not they're not doing it anymore so like I don't know. It just really like struck a chord. And I know like if I was sitting with a friend and we were like looking for something to watch and that came up, like it would be like, yeah, of course. Well, isn't this, doesn't this film do that with the whole scene where they're watching Wall Street? I mean, the guys in the film want to be. No, every word. And they want to be what's happening on Wall Street. That's so true. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of people watching Boiler Room, watching people watching Wall Street. It's very, kind meta. Of, yeah. very meta. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with some of these people, not not actual people like in the movie, but I this kind of hit very close to me because I, I worked with people like this, you know, where they wore the 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 suits not quite fitting right and not not quite at a good, you know, not a not a high quality suit and kind of like talked trash to each other and went out and said terrible things to each other in public and work was kind of this um, frat house type of situation going on there. And yeah, so I, I, when I was in the corporate world and when I did do sales for a little while, this is how it felt. And that kind of hit a little close to, Mm. to me. And, and I think probably is now a good time to bring this up. And I was mentioning this to Alex before we went on air is I think I've might've been interviewed <laughs> for a boiler room <laughs> because amazing. was it in hot bog? It was in because Melville. Wasn't this supposed to be, this was supposed to be. In... So he mentions that it's uh well, one of the things that makes me laugh out loud in this movie is that he says, um, He's like, you know, this place is nowhere near Wall Street. In fact, it's yeah. like an hour away. An hour it's, away. He says the term I think he uses is way out on Long Island. Exit yeah. 53. Yeah. And Which... I, I laugh, <laughs> me being a, a 70s exit type of guy myself, <laughs> uh, to think that it's quote unquote way out there. But uh, yeah, so this was this was actually back around the time 
that the the movie had come out and i was with a uh, an agency i had i i was looking for work i was in between jobs i was with an agency and they they you know when you're with sometimes when you go to an agency they just send you somewhere so they said go to this address in melville be there at 10 a.m. and you're going to talk to this person at this company and it is a um, a sales position so i got there and i sat in the lobby and it was me and a couple other people who were all wearing those ill-fitting suits, you know, looking at each other like, you know, really scared. And there's just it literally no pictures on the wall, nothing. Just like an old Formica table, a few chairs and a reception desk. And behind the reception desk is a door, a nondescript white door. And there's people in suits going in and out of the door. And rather than opening the door up all the way, they're kind of like sneaking into the door behind so as not to show what's going on in the background. And I thought I was going through that door to do the interview, but someone came out of that door, sat down next to me and did the interview right in the lobby, which was very, very strange. And I, and, and you can't see it, but lobby in quotes. And, and I remember them saying, me asking, you know, what is this job? And it's like, it's a sales job. You're going to be on the phone call. It's commission-based. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be, you know, you have a lot of opportunity to, to make a lot of money someday. You know, we start you off, we train you, then you work your way up. And, you know, and I said, okay, is, is the job here? And he's like, yeah, behind that door, there are hundreds of people right now making telephone calls. And this guy was not a good liar because when he said that, I did not believe him whatsoever. <laughs> and I knew right there and then. And the parking lot was empty. It was very strange. It was very strange, Alex. And not to mention the fact that I might be misremembering, but just like the movie, I don't think it was a a job interview. I just think it was this recruitment where the guy was saying, you know, you can come down next week. We'll get you started. You know, think about it, you know, come back to me, tell me if you think this is it. And the, the pay was awful. The, you know, it was all commission based. The pay was terrible, terrible. And I really do think it was, I, look, I don't want to say this was 20 years ago. I don't want to say if this was uh, this type of company, but if, after seeing this movie, I was like, wait a minute, this looks so familiar to me. Oh I think I might have done boiler room interviewing. <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. So, yeah. So, so it does that. So this movie, watching this movie makes me a little uncomfortable because I, like I said, I, I, I've experienced something similar and I've worked with people like, like these, these guys and and I think you said it at the beginning, Elizabeth. You know, is is kind of a sexist uh, vibe going on. I don't. I think there's only one woman in this movie. There's yeah. two women. Okay, oh. well that's right. There's Nia Long, the the receptionist, and then there's one woman who sits in the room with them. That's right. There's the secretary, um, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so much sexism and racism in this movie. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's bad. There's also his mother, though. So three women. Yes, that's right. It's interesting. So when you you talk about this movie, it focuses on, you know, the one character. I think his name is Seth. Seth Davis. Okay. I didn't realize until looking up this movie afterwards that he was supposed to be 19. I guess I thought it was more like 20, 21. He's not a stupid guy, obviously. He's running that whole illegal gambling parlor in his apartment. And it's 
literally he's paying people he's keeping books like it it's pretty impressive but it's an illegitimate legitimate business yes um (laughs) and I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to realize his father was a federal judge. I thought he was just kind of like a judgy person, but apparently he was a judge too. And you felt bad. Like as somebody, I think probably when I watched this, when I was 30, I, I felt a little more sympathy for uh, Seth and less sympathy for the father. As I get older, I'm, I'm still feeling sympathy for both because I think ultimately Seth just wanted to please his father. And again, my younger self was probably, why can't he just accept that Seth is trying, even if he's wrong? But now as an older person, I'm like, you know, come on, get your your act together, kid. Why do you keep falling into these illegal things? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And there's such a like a juxtaposition between Seth and his judge father, like good versus evil and, and throughout like the whole thing. But like I don't know, I felt, kinda even felt like his dad was like evil a little bit though. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's the whole story about him falling off his bike and he doesn't yeah. even know if his father loves him and I don't think his father's giving him guidance. It feels to me like his father's just saying, wrong, try something new, wrong, try something new, wrong, try something new. And, and you really, I felt bad for Seth the whole time. Like he's definitely a sympathetic character. You can tell even when he's doing the worst things, when he's, you know, screwing with that guy, Harry, or messing with that guy, Harry and his whole life savings, it's, you know, he's in the moment and kind of like getting into it with the people he's working with, but also afraid of them. But also, will this make his father accept him, but feels bad for Harry? It, and and throughout the, for the rest of the movie, he's really advocating to get, how can I help Harry? It's, he's definitely a sympathetic character. And, and knowing that he's 19 and not 21, I mean, I know it's just a couple of years, but he was just an idiot. Also, just to toss in there, like his mother was like supportive to a fault almost like she was always like, oh, Seth, don't worry. Like your father loves you. Like, don't you know, not really giving uh, being honest. I think she was just neither one of them are helping. Right. That's everything you do is wrong. And the other one was saying everything you do is perfect. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it's just. Not a good mix for like, like, like you said, a 19 year old. And like, I agree. I didn't even know he was 19 until you just said it now. I don't think I even uh, came through for me. And 19 to 21, I mean, there, it, it could, it, it really could be a huge difference for a lot of people. So I agree with you 100%. I think another sympathetic character, another character that I, that I felt wasn't as hard as everyone else was Chris played by Vin Diesel. Did you get that? Did you feel that a little bit? Because we all love Vin Diesel. Yes. No, no. I think he, I think he was, yeah, he was very smooth, but also I think he, he knew what was going on. He didn't really want to think about it. Like he was just in it for the money. Yeah. He didn't want to think about it, but, but at the same time, you know, they, there was a comment when they're waiting in the car for, for Greg and, and, and 
And Seth goes, Chris, why are you still living with your mom? Right? He, like, asked that question, and he, like, sheepishly, like, changed the subject, I think. But, um, listen, at the end of the day, yes, not to jump ahead, but Seth saved the day for Harry, and and if it wasn't for Chris, he wouldn't have been able to do that. So it wasn't like Chris just turned his back on him anyway, and I kind of felt like there was kind of a, a mentor relationship going on between Chris and Seth that I thought was rather nice. Um, the two of them together, he was a little less um, forceful than Greg, who was just nasty, nasty, you know, played by uh, Nikki cat was said super terrible racist things. And, and, yes. and, you know, really um, not a good role model in this case. No, absolutely not. And I mean, you think about like all like the, the workplace, like, sexual harassment training and workplace training that we've all gone through. Uh, they would have all failed. Yeah. Oh man. And not so like we said, like racism and sexism and just inappropriate business environment, the, the, the drug use. I don't, I don't know if they showed drug use while they were working, but they're doing drugs with their coworkers after work. Like, Supervisors are doing drugs with their subordinates. Yeah, but the the main uh, guy, um, like the JT Marlin, the the head honcho guy, when Michael. he takes them all, mm-hmm. Michael, when he takes them all um, on the the bus to that hotel or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, I got a surprise for you guys upstairs." Like, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, well, it's funny because. You know, it's easy to watch a movie like this and think, oh, God, this it was never this bad. Like, but it made me think of my first job out of college, young woman, and I had two male bosses who would scream at us all the time. We were 22, 23, 24 year old women all in the department. They always screamed at us. They did call us names. They did call us uh, they did uh, use expletives to speak to us all the time. And I think two things. I think one, if I had that job when I was older, I never would have let that happen. And two, I don't think they could get away with that now. Like we yeah. have changed in so many ways. I mean, we have the Me Too movement. Uh, which is starting to call out behavior like this because, you know, when I was in that situation, I just thought this is how it is. My boss talks to me like this, but that's the way he is. And it is what it is. Like it is what it is. Move on. But it does affect you. And even these people, even we talk about Vin Diesel's character and giving it right back to the other guy who I think was Jewish and Vin Diesel is Italian and they're throwing back slurs about each of those backgrounds and they seem okay with it. But at some point it's not like you hear that and it's not okay. Like you're not okay with it. So it's interesting to think that that ever was a thing, but it's actually quite recent that it stopped being a thing. Yeah, sure. There, there is actually a point where Abby uh, Nia Long's character does kind of um, 
stand up to uh, Greg, like when he when he says something mean to her or whatever, um, like accuses her of you know being with Seth or whatever, and she does kind of like tell him off, you know. So she she has her her kind of moment there, but certainly it's not uh, it doesn't justify anything, you know what I mean? But she did seem like a strong character, a strong person, and she was in it because she needed, you know, to provide for her family. It's interesting. I, I felt that the stuff that you're talking about, Elizabeth, you know, you know, it happened. I felt like the film and the, the, the writer, you know, Ben Younger, who incidentally, this was based on a quote unquote true story. This is based on something that he experienced five years before. Part of me, knows that that behavior happened but at the same time i think for the in the um interest of making the story a little more sensational a little more entertaining i feel like it was maybe bumped up just like just like a little bit like it was over the top for the sake of being over the top and i know now we're getting kind of like into the technical side of the film and the writing and whatnot but i know that existed because i experienced it myself when i was in corporate america so i know it existed that way and i know that's the way it was but i kind of felt like the film bumped everything up a little a little more made it a little more salacious well i mean probably yeah, because I mean, it was really but, like over the. It was almost. It was like over the top, but crazy. To me, the idea that there's this room filled with hundreds of people selling fake stocks, yeah, and bilking people out of all their money is so over the top that. Sure. That we no. No. Know yeah. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't put it past those actual people to be talking about. Yeah, sure. So let, <laughs> I mean, let's let's talk about that because I think one of the reasons why we picked this movie besides the three of us, you know, really liking it and obviously the movie made an impression on us 20 years ago for us to want to talk about it now. But the fact that it kind of ties into, you know, business and what we do and and how we 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 like to guide our patrons to smart investing. I mean, we're we're a couple of weeks late from this coming out, but a few weeks ago was the uh, Smart Investing Week. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're all stuck at home for Smart Investing Week. <laughs> but I think that's something that that I'd like to talk about. And you know, Alex and I were, uh, you know, be, again before we went on air, we were trying to figure out how we were going to explain this. And Alex, I I, I had found the um, the script. Alex, did you want to start to talk about what? this scam was like what was this that was going on that was 50 percent legal if if done properly and 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 50 percent illegal um so what was that exactly something about bridge financing yeah well i found yeah i found two things that um i think apply but bridge finance financing was the one that, that you had pointed me towards, um, which is temp- temporary financing intended to cover a company's short, short-term short costs until the regular long-term finances are secured. It is not illegal unless there is no connection between the company issuing the stock and the firm selling it. And that was the illegal part in this movie, though. Yeah. And then- yeah, but weren't they selling non-existent stocks? 
No, they were actual stocks. Oh, okay. They were actual stocks, yeah. Uh, um, there's also what I initially thought was this mic- micro-cap stock fraud. Um, securities fraud, including stocks of micro-cap companies with a market capitalization of under $250 million. Penny stocks, which... SEC defines as a security that trades at less than five dollars per share, not on national, not on the national exchange, and fails to meet other specific criteria. So those were the stocks that they were selling then. These micro cap stocks. I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. So I think, but somewhere between the two, I think. I mean, I think they were doing the bridge financing and the micro cap stock fraud as well. Would you agree uh, by those definitions? Yeah, I I mean, I kind of understood it as basically they were creating these fake companies. What was the name of the – well, one was MedPatent. That was the second company that they created. The first one was a company that made uh, the drug to help premature babies, right? It was just like, you know, very hitting at the heartstrings. Yeah, exactly. That so, I that was like, damn. Come yeah. On. So they were. I think they created the companies, and then they sold stock in those companies, even though the companies didn't exist. How I understood it, they sold stock in those companies. They would raise the price of the stock artificially, get as many people in as possible to invest in the stock, and then they would dump the stock on the market. They would sell. They would make all the profit because the artificially, you know, inflated price of the stock, and everybody else would be stuck with these with the stock that wasn't worth anything. And I think right, the reason right. why they were able to fund these companies was through the bridge financing. So they were able to fund the companies initially by getting quote unquote loans to finance the creation of these fake companies, and then they would sell stock in these fake companies make a big deal about it, you know, the stock price would go up naturally because everybody's investing in it. And then finally they would sell all the stock on their end, the stock that they owned, dump it and make all that money. And that was the reason why they were able to offer such high commissions to all these these guys working for them because it was in the their best interest to make all that money. So yeah. The SEC says you can only make 5% maximum commission on a sale. You know, they were making 20%. Yeah. And, you know, their overseer, the overseer, whoever that was, the guy who was supposed to be, um, you know, making sure that they were legit actually worked for them. But that that part was legal. Yes, that he part was legal. for you. Yes. I won't get started on that. Um, but – the people that were scammed and lost money through this company, um, we talk about how we can relate this to our patrons and how they should act. I mean, there were so many things as I was watching with the doctor who gets a random phone call at work about buying stock and is hesitant at first, which is what he should have been. He should have been hesitant the whole time and said no. And then they threw in that, okay, well, if you can't do it now, then 
you know, uh, you're just going to miss out. No, I can't call you back tomorrow. That's fine. You know, do whatever you want, but you're missing this great opportunity. And I think what we always have to remember, always, always, always with any scam, whether it be financial, any, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, guys. It's probably too good to be true that some random person is going to call you on the phone and say, give me $2,000 or buy 2,000 shares and you're going to see, you know, the growth exponentially. I forget the, you know, the exact numbers they told this guy, but, well, and they may not have even told him numbers. He was just a doctor and he understands the pharmaceutical industry. But anytime they're like, you have to do it now, don't. Anytime it sounds too good to be true, question it. And you see that in so many financial scams, Bernie Madoff, so many of those people, and and this isn't victim blaming. They were, he, what he did was wrong, but they went with him because he was promising like returns that were three, four times what everybody else was doing. You need to question things that seem too good to be true. Absolutely. And ask libraries will help you. Hey, absolutely. And, you know, um, Ben Affleck's character was constantly just saying, push, push, push. Learn how to close, closing all the time. Be aggressive. Have your rebuttals ready. Um, I actually did a little um, research. Um, I found, like, an uh, article from the Washington Post uh, from 1997 um, it says complaints about about this kind of high pressure sh- selling often increase when the stock market is failing, according to officials of the Securities and Exchange Commission and the National Association of Securities Dealers. And then also, um, I guess this from a uh, New York Times article from 91, uh, the indictments stem from an investigation by the federal Bureau of Investigation begun in 1989 after complaints from customers and former brokers came. So I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff in those articles that I that I saw that um, uh, like the uh, the true story of, of how it happened. And, you know, just another another tidbit here. Um, Three year old JT Moran, the company, which went out of business in January, at its peak had close to a thousand brokers at 22 offices nationwide, handling about 110,000 customer accounts. And it specialized in making markets for low priced penny stocks. And that's also from the uh, New York Times from 91. Yeah, so it's interesting you said that company's name was J.T. Moran. Right, so this the, company it's almost was, like... Uh, it was J.T. Marlin. And again, I kind of liked how this film was also educational uh, through dialogue because when they're in the bar uh, in the city and they get into this little scuffle with actual brokers who work for J.P. Morgan, Morgan. they mention, you know, yeah. And it's funny how he explains it to the guys, but he's really explaining it to us, the audience. He says, yeah, you're called J.T. Marlin because you sound like J.P. Morgan. It's done on purpose. Your company's done on purpose. Yeah, that's a great point. So if somebody calls you on the phone and is like, hey, this is Elizabeth from J.T. Marlin, you might be like, oh, J.P. Morgan? Yeah, Yeah, J.P. Marlin. And then you have, again... 
ask more questions, don't do everything right away, but you can see, you know, and that's the beauty of all these scammers. And I mean, beauty in a terrible way is that they're very savvy about making things look like something else. So absolutely. So here's another interesting, a couple of interesting things that's popped out to me in the first part of the movie. They were using, I don't know if you noticed, but they were using D&B cards. Did you notice that they were done in Bradstreet yes, Leeds? Yes, D&B cards made me laugh. Yes, uh, available at the Miller Business Center, just so you know. You can access <laughs> the data <laughs> if you want to have sales leads. The fact that he mentioned a good broker makes 700 calls per day. <gasps> And that their telephone bill at the time, so we're talking about early 2000s or late $400,000, yeah. yeah. A month. That's insane. Yeah. So that is, uh, yeah, crazy to think about it. The predatory ways that they were able to get money out of these people. And I think it's also important to mention that the way they were training these guys, they were telling these guys that all the people they were calling were not just ordinary people. They were people with a lot of money. They were executive vice presidents. So it was like, you know, and, and even Ben Affleck's character says, you know, if if someone tells you that they can't invest $2,500, they're lying. Yeah, but is that true? Because just because somebody like, and we know from doing our searches for Miller patrons about executive vice, vice presidents and who's this or that. But, you know, when we specifically think, about Harry, he was a purchasing manager. So yes, he had a managerial title, but he didn't have a lot of money. He had a family. Like we're thinking in relative terms. Like you're looking again, you can't judge the person by the things on paper. So even the doctor, I mean, he seemed to have the money because they never came back to him, but you could be an executive vice president in uh, a small, uh, you know, not not a, a one of the center states, and we would think, oh, an executive vice president in New York City is making high six figures, mid six figures, but in one of the middle states, they might be making less. the The numbers aren't equal. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, again, it's not just you can't just look at the the things on paper. Yeah, it was a bad situation all around. Now, obviously, they were. They were making money. They were they were calling a lot of people every day. There were probably some people in there who were quote unquote whales who would just, you know, invest and they had money to spend and money to lose. But the majority of people in these scams are just regular folks who just wanna invest money. Um, and unfortunately, like you said, that fast talking, high pressure I mean, there's a, there's a scene in this movie where he's where Seth is at home and he gets a telephone call from uh, the Daily News. Oh and, yeah, that yeah. Was is, I love that. Scene. Which is a great scene um, where he's basically the telemarketer is trying to sell him a paper and he's like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I, I bothered you," because he said no. He's like, "What is that? Is that the end of your call? Come on, you know, sell me, you know, do the call over." And he does the whole thing <laughs> over and he ends up not Say doing no, it. No, I yeah. get the times. <laughs> yes. It's it's interesting the confidence that you see built. That, look, the fact of the matter is is that Seth was probably the smartest guy in the room. Really, when you think about it, he was the smartest guy in the room. Um, was he a criminal in a sense? Yes, I mean he was running a an illegal casino. But the fact of the matter is is that 
you know, there were guys in that in that office that worked with him who who could barely function there. Meanwhile, Seth was always watching. He was always trying to figure things out. He was very smart. Obviously, he passed the Series 7. He had the highest score passing the Series 7 exam when he finally did take the test. So he was a very, very smart kid. It's interesting you say that about people like the the ones that aren't as smart and they were there and they were just like, it's like, this is what you tell me to do. This is what I do. It's so evident in it's like we're there we're just making money when they go to ben affleck's character's house and he's like oh did he just move in no he's been here for months because decorating that house and making that house a home is not the issue for these people for you know people like like this character it was having the home like it just he had the big home it didn't matter that it wasn't a home. He had the big house. He had the flashy car. He had, so it was just grabbing these things, but not creating a life. And Seth was the only one really questioning, like, how are we making this life? Like, is it a life or is it just grabbing as much as we can and hurting so many other people? Absolutely. There's, um, uh, I believe it's a point where, um, Greg and Seth are in the car together and Greg tells Seth that most of the the brokers or whatever are living paycheck to paycheck even though they're driving nice cars and um, there's even that point where Ben Affleck says go out and get one one nice suit at least one nice suit you know stop wearing you know so he's like I don't care if you have to wear it every day you know so it was a facade it was a lot of it was a facade and then I'm sorry I just want to just going back to Seth in his opening monologue he says he doesn't want to be an innovator he doesn't want to care about doing good he just wants to get in and make a lot of money and just wanted in quick easy buck and I mean it's um, is that part of the American dream? Am I wrong? <laughs> Am I going too far? Or a warped, a warped version of like a 1990s version of like an irresponsible person's view of the American dream, even though he is a smart, a smart character. Well, obviously, this business could not have been as successful as it was if they didn't have people who believed that. I mean, it wasn't like they were running a, a sweatshop or anything like that. Those guys were going in there ready, willing, and able because they were told that they could make a ton of money, and that's what they were doing. That was the goal for most of those guys. The goal was to make a ton of money. I mean, at the end of the day, the goal for Seth wasn't necessarily to make a lot of money because he was already making a decent living. He just wanted to make his father proud of what he was doing respectability but i'm not even sure it was making a lot of money for these guys because if it was making a lot of money they would have saved it it was having flashy cars buying a lot of drugs being able to pay for dinners and that stuff and you know maybe we're not doing that now maybe boiler rooms don't exist now but we still live in this culture that you know what you're portraying on the outside now it's maybe it's instagram like oh that person has such a great life look at their instagram but what you're not realizing is they're focusing you know they're zooming into this perfect part 
of their life and you don't know what the outside is. Um, so are we still doing it? I mean, it's, I think it's just human nature that you want and you want to feel like you're as good as the next person. And unfortunately, the only way to really gauge that for some people is the amount of money or the amount of expensive things you have. Yeah, I agree with what you said about Instagram. I think that's the uh, perfect example. Yeah, I get it. Nobody wants to read my insta wants to see my Instagram story of, "Oh, today I'm lonely." You know, like <laughs> they yeah. want to see, "Oh, you had a great day today. Look, she went here. She did this. Oh, I did that too." Nobody wants to see the bad side. So but then when you post a, like a picture of like, oh, look, I bought these like new brand new Louis Vuitton sandals and this this new purse, like, you know, it's like, why the reason for posting that? Why you got to. But like you said, it is part of our society today still and probably always will be. Yeah, to yeah. some extent. It's yeah. the same. It's the same idea. It's just a different song. It's a different song. <laughs> yes. Song. Yep. And speaking of music, Alex, I know you're very much into the music that was featured in this film. But yes. uh, strangely enough, there is no soundtrack for this movie, is there? There is no soundtrack. Um, wow. I But I did ask Sal to, um, to bring this up so I could talk about it. Okay, the movie begins and ends with a quote from Notorious B.I.G., his song Things Done Changed. It's the second track of his uh, debut album, Ready to Die. Um, and he says, either you slang crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. And and that's the the first, like one of the, it's in the monologue, the first that of the opening movie. And it's literally the last thing I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Seth says. There was a lot of hip hop in it. You mentioned the scratch at the beginning. Um, but there's some good songs in here. Um, when they're getting on the buses, there's a song by a uh, uh, rap artist named Beanie Siegel. The title is "What a Thug About" is the is the title of that song, and it's a it's a great song. And it, I think it it fit. I don't know. It fit in perfectly, and I uh, love I love hearing it. In the show notes. Yeah, we can put the songs in the show notes. Sure. And then to to finish it off. When the movie ends, the song for the credits is a like wildly popular song in the hip hop community um, by Pharrell Manch. It's called Simon Says, and it's like I don't know if you guys remember like when the credits start. It's like a powerful song. It, it's loud. It's it's aggressive. It's like you know. And it's a good way to end, end the movie. But, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. I was just like, wow. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's my little hip hop tidbits for everybody. Why, why do you think they ended it on such an aggressive song? Do you think it was uh, a reaction to how terrible the people were? in this movie like anger at them or do you think it was a reflection of those people like it was almost those guys in the boiler room their response to getting caught 
is my English degree coming out? Let's read into this. No, I don't know. And the title <laughs> of the song is Simon Says. How, what, how does that game go? Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Could but, be. Could be. <laughs> but, um, like, I don't, I don't know. Cause, and you see Seth drive away as the, maybe, you know, you see Seth drive away as those paddy wagons are pulling in and the police are storming the building. When I watched it for the second time and I, and the credits started and that song came on, I could feel like if I was sitting in the movie theater hearing that, I would get up and I would be like, that was like the best movie I ever saw. Like it just add, I think it just added to, because you're taken on a, a ride in the movie, I think a little bit and, and relating to, to Seth or maybe or not. I feel like if I heard that at the end, I'd be like, I'd walk out of the theater and I'd be recommending it to everybody. Uh, you know, and we are, yeah, we are recommending this. Now I, I want to mention to folks who are listening to tie it back to what we do and what we offer. You know, we have uh, we do we have had a number of programs that have been sponsored by Finra, and Finra is the organization that basically takes the money that the SEC receives from the fines against all these brokerage houses and and brokers who do bad things, and redistributes it for for educational purposes. And we have in the past at the library received Finra funding and grants. And I highly recommend folks before you, the two things, before you go out to invest in the market and believe it or not, with everything that's going on in the world, a lot of people are thinking about investing in the market since the market is low now. And, and a lot of people feel that this is a good time to purchase, to buy into the, into the purchase stock and buy into the market. But we do have it on our, uh, on our website under our online business resource database, a, a listing of free databases that are available to you. From, from wherever you are. You don't have to be a patron of the library. You don't have to be a Miller member to access these databases. And one of them is the broker search, the FINRA broker, brokerage search and broker search. So you can go there and we'll put this in the show notes. You can go there and type in a broker's name and see if there are any sanctions against the broker. See if there's any sanctions against the brokerage house and also see a history. I believe it's a five-year history of that broker's uh, information, as well as whether or not they passed the proper tests that comes in handy. It's very important that your broker has passed the tests and can officially sell you stocks, which was something that was brought up in this film because half of those guys were trainees when they got to the point where they, the person on the other end of the phone was ready to buy a stock, they had to stop and would they have to yell Rico, right? What was that? Rico. They had to Uh, yell at the top of their lungs. Rico and and someone yeah. would run over and, and and grab the phone and and the the person who is officially able to sell the stock would sell the stock to them. Um, so that's one resource, and the second resource is uh, for our Miller Business members and our patrons of the libraries that the Morningstar database, which allows you to look up a stock, a, uh, a mutual fund, and get. The Morningstar rating, which is a very prestigious rating for a stock, you know, you'll they'll they'll give it four stars, five stars, three stars, and that database is great as well. If you're thinking of investing in a particular stock or in a particular mutual fund, you can see that fund's history. You can see if whether or not 
um, Morningstar suggests that it's something that you invest in, not invest in. Also tells you what's inside that mutual fund. You know, there's a lot of these mutual funds out there that sound great. And you're like, okay, what what's in it? Because a mutual fund, for those of you who don't know, a mutual fund is basically a whole bunch of stocks put together. A, a good mutual fund is well-balanced. So if the energy industry is tanking, but the you know healthcare industry is doing great, uh, kind of like now, <laughs> it'll balance it out. So your fund won't lose all its value. It's diversifying is what they call. So that database is the Morningstar Investment Database. It's, uh, again, another great resource that we have here at the Miller Center. So folks won't fall into the trap that Harry did um, in this film uh, when he was basically pressured into purchasing a stock that was worth nothing because he wanted to buy a house someday. And it just so happened that Seth got him at the right moment where he was getting ready to buy a house and he had $50,000 sitting in the bank for a down payment. And uh, yeah, so that can I that was the other cringe worthy moment in that movie for me was yeah. the 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 argument between the husband and the wife about the money that he invested in in the stock market and 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 her being very concerned and pretty much leaving with the kids and yeah. that was that was a rough that was a rough scene to to watch there there was and i I swear I saw this on i m d b that they had shot and Sal, you may have saw this too because I know you looked at IMDb. Um, that they had shot an alternate ending. Yes. Of Harry coming into the building to find Seth in the, I guess, in the stairway with a with a gun. Wow. Yeah. yeah so there is that that ending was shot actually. Yeah. That, that and- is, if if you purchase the DVD, you could see that ending. I am uh, incredibly glad that they did not go in that Me direction. Too. Me I too. thought that it ended pretty well. You know, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, before this film ends and before the, uh, the JT Marlin is shut down, uh, Seth is able to essentially get Harry's money back by yeah. reinvesting it in the stock that you know, the med patent stock, which was still high enough for him to go in there, get the stock, and then he could sell it at the high price rather than the low price before it was dumped. Yeah. So he basically got his, his money back, but in the original cut of the film, yes, he was going to go in there. I don't think he was actually going to shoot anybody up or anything like that, but it was going to be implied that he was about to do something Right, right. And I'm glad they didn't go in that direction simply because, you know, besides the shock factor on that, I think we were already shocked at that point about everything that was going on. But I think it would have made Harry look like a villain as well. Yeah, he would be less sympathetic. And really, that wouldn't be fair to his character because we know that most of the people who are scammed do not retaliate in that sort of way. So... Oh, definitely not. Um, I think it's good that they did not go that way. And it also would present like um, an element of like um, like danger, like to the movie, like uh, yeah, um, like an aggressive, like yeah. 
that wasn't there throughout the whole thing, but then at the end, it's all of a sudden like this threatening, violence. like vi- yeah. violence. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> like, a, yeah. why end on a violent note? Like when, as an audience member, you you feel so you feel the helplessness of Harry. You feel his helplessness, and you're left with that helplessness. There is a resolution. It's off screen. But there's a resolution. He does eventually get his money back. You hope he gets his money back because of the things that Seth had set in, in, in motion. But there was a, a helplessness that was there that as, you know, as a audience member, you felt bad. It would have been weird f- as an audience member to see him go in for revenge because then you would be like, yeah, he's going in. He's going to get revenge against these guys. It's like, well, yeah. and then the movie's about Harry and the movie really wasn't, is yeah. not about Harry. We knew so much about Harry because they wanted us to understand like an, a real world example of what they were doing. And because I think Harry was the turning point for Seth in that he realized like, oh, Harry's not a whale. He's just like a guy who saved up a lot of money and thought, oh, maybe I can just double it real quick mm-hmm. so I can help my family. Not so I can buy a fancy car, but so I can buy a house, a home for my family. So Harry is a side person. So to have yeah. him actually come and exact revenge would have turned it into a Harry and Seth movie. And it wasn't. It was a Seth movie. And yes. we needed it to stay a Seth movie because that made it just so much more powerful. Agree, totally yeah, agree. agree. I think it's safe to say we all highly recommend this film. I think it's a great movie. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of problems with the sexism and racism, but if you are watching it for that time period, it's compelling. The characters are interesting, and I uh, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I would definitely also agree uh, watching it. It is an enjoyable watch. Um, th- there's emotions in it. There's there's a lot of different elements and uh, you know um, that that give it a quality of, of a, a great movie. So I would definitely suggest watching it 100%. Yeah, definitely. I I um I thought that the the writing was excellent and the acting was superb. Those are two things that for me are very important. Um, you know, you can have a fantastical story, you can have a true story, but uh, it's uh, the uh, at the end of the day, if it was well done and well written, you forget you're watching a film. You think that you're watching real life. And I, I, I felt that with these characters and I thought the dialogue between them was very quick and witty. And I think someone actually compared this to a David Mamet uh, film. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. There you go. Because it's yeah, very. Yeah, that came up. Yep. That came Always up. be closing. Because it's yeah. very like you know the choppiness of it and the <laughs> the uh, the way. Yeah. So. Also, the the cast of characters. I mean, the actors. I'm sorry. Um, there's a lot of good actors in this movie. You know, Giovanni Ribisi being the the main character, but his father. Um, I'm sorry, Ron, I don't Ron know Rifkin. that. Ron Rifkin, yeah. um, Ben Affleck, uh, Scott Kahn Neil is in Long. there. Nia Long, Neil. Yeah, yeah, of course. I always love Nia Long. Um, there's a lot of a lot of good char- um, good actors in the, yes. in the movie. So it's... yeah, they, they got a good cast. Was this considered like a 
a full budget movie? Was this like an, this was an independent, no, this right? Was, yeah, this was, uh, well, it was New Line Cinema was the with production company. So I wouldn't necessarily call it independent, but it only had a $7 million budget. Wow. Um, you know, it made $28.7 million. So it did pretty well for itself, you know, in the grand scheme of things relative to the time that it came out. It's not a long movie either. It's like two hours straight. Yeah. You know, tight. It did win a couple of uh, juried film awards at the time. So, uh, you know, it gets a seven on Internet Movie Database, uh, a 63 on Metascore. So it's not Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes got it 66. 66 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It's it's all good and uh I thought this was a good idea. Maybe we should do this again sometime. I think so. There's I mean, we when you threw out the idea, there was a lot of movies that were mentioned, so we we have our pick, right? So Yeah. Boiler Room stars Giovanni Ribisi, Vin Diesel, Neil Long, Nikki Cat, and Ben Affleck. It was written and directed by Ben Younger and was released in 2000. You can rent it online on your favorite movie streaming service. If you'd like us to watch and discuss your favorite business movie while we are all at home, drop us an email at millercenter at mcplibrary.org. This week's episode featured Elizabeth Malafi and Alex Blend. I'm Sal DiVincenzo. Centered on Business is a production of the Miller Business Center at Middle Country Public Library, an initiative of the Middle Country Library Foundation. For more information, visit our website at millerbusinesscenter.org. A sale is made on every call you make. Either you sell the client some stock, or he sells you on a reason he can't. Either way, a sale is made. The only question is, who's going to close? You or him? Be relentless. That's it. I'm done.